We are Irresistible. A community of practice in collective healing and social change. Because our commitment to justice and to our own lives is compelling, joyful, and irresistible. Together, we celebrate the many traditions of movement leaders, cultural workers, and spiritual teachers who remind us to embody the liberation we are pursuing and who show us that our movements for justice can and must be expansive, vibrant, and alive because we are so much more than resistance. We are irresistible. Hey everybody, this is your host Kate Werning and I'm so excited to be coming to you today alongside BJ Starr who is back on the podcast for the second time and you may remember from hosting Irresistible Care Circles. And BJ and I are here today to give you a little bit more of a reflective and internal update about what's going on here at the podcast and along with everything we do here at Irresistible. And we have an exciting announcement to make today, which is that we are your new Irresistible Co-Directors! Co-directors. <laughs> amazing (laughs) it's impossible for us to know because we are recording this on zoom across the country from each other whether that was anything close to synchronous (laughs) trying to say that together but our our it's good practice for us because we're moving into this season of really learning to move in in step together Mm -hmm. um And I'm so, so excited for you to get to know BJ in this episode, more about their story and what brings them here in this moment, and also to share with you um, what we're working on to to take care of each other and take care of you over these next months and this next year. So, BJ, yes, yay, yay, yay. (laughs) it's real. it's real. Yeah. It's before we dive into your story, just how are you feeling today? How are you arriving? I'm excited. Um, in this moment. Like I've got so much energy coursing through my body. Um, I feel super grateful and it's also a moment in life, in history, in my life where I'm in a single day feeling all of the feels, you know? So I'm really grateful. Mm-hmm for this moment um, to be able to bring my attention to excitement and possibility and the energy that feels really nourishing and generative in my body. Yeah. Hmm. Well, let's share with people where we are too. And I, um, you know, not to assume people have been listening for a while. My name is Kate and I use the pronoun she and her. And I am currently coming to you from a part of the state of Wisconsin uh, called Door County, and um, it's Oneonta land. And where are you coming from, BJ? Um, My name is BJ. I use they, them pronouns. And I am currently inhabiting a home in Duwamish territory in a part of the world people call Seattle. Cool. Yeah. Um. Well, let's dive in and get to know you a little bit. Um, I know that we've talked a lot, as we do here all the time, about the intersections and flows between 
social justice and organizing and social movements, as well as healing and transformation on the personal level. And would love to know what you want our people to know about you, about where you come from and how you have sort of been moved and shaped by those intersecting waters Mm -hmm. up until the moment of bringing you here. Yeah. What do I want folks to know about me? Well, the first is just that I'm, I'm, I'm a human just trying to live fully. Uh, I feel like each day of my life, the question is, how might I live fully today? And uh, a lot of times the answer is, has something to do with feeling more fully. And the more that I feel the more that I feel the need to act, (laughs) which I think has led me to a lot of my work in the world. Um, I grew up in Seattle. My My family is from Seattle many generations back. And I grew up as like a super engaged kid. Like I, if talk about live fully, like I was living to the max. Um, and I, I grew up with a lot of issues in my life that I didn't necessarily have language for. Domestic violence, racism, homophobia, class issues, sexism, all kinds of things that I I didn't know how to necessarily articulate because they my resilience was just strong and they they mm. they didn't really like build up and become acute until I hit high school where my boyfriend at the time, his father was murdered by police officers in mm-hmm. Seattle, Washington. And like my ability to be engaged uh, meant that I like I felt a lot. I was like a very sensitive teenager. And that incident was the first time that I had such a huge, like impactful moment in my life and had no idea how to act. Mm-hmm. And I think early on I was searching for ways to be um, of service, like to, to make a meaningful contribution to the lives of the folks that I cared about and, and to myself. And I, I didn't have answers for how to do that. So it was a long time before I came to the world of like movement work. It just wasn't in my immediate environment. I didn't know any organizers. Uh, I didn't know any activists. I know like retired activists, like folks who used to be <laughs> Black Panthers, uh, but mm. now worked as like security guards at my high school. But I didn't have avenues for um, like resistance. So I, I played the game of escapism until. I came into the world of facilitation for the first time. And I think, I think a lot of us, um, myself included, like without avenues for change and resistance, like our only other choices are like cope, basically, you know? So Mm -hmm. I want people to know that I'm a human that is learning how to both cope with being human, how to like make change in the world that leads to like a thriving, just, sustainable home for us all. And that I care very deeply about how we do it. I care very deeply about the healing and the holding that happens um, in our personal lives, in our collective lives, as we build the world that we know is, and we dream is possible. That's what I want people to know. The other Mm -hmm. things are like written in bios and you could read them somewhere, but that that feels most important. (laughs) 
Will you tell us also about the really important and big calling of your name, BJ Star? Yeah, so my full name is Barbara Jovan Carmel Jefferson. And Barbara is my mother's mother's name. Jovan is my mother's name. Carmel is my father's only sister's name. And Jefferson is my father's family name. Uh, Carmel is actually also a combination of her mother and father's name. So we had a little bit of a trend going on with um, passing (laughs) names down. And all of those names are names of black women, um, beautiful, strong black women in my family. And I will never let that name go um, because every time I say it out loud, it's, it's a way that I honor my lineage and honor the people that made it possible for me to be sitting right here with you, you know? And uh, as a child, I got the nickname BJ Star from my stepdad. And I loved that name. And a lot of people call me a lot of different names, but that is a name that really stuck with me. And as I was going through some of my own healing, like coming back to life in a way after coping and escaping for a long time, I, I rediscovered that nickname because it had fallen away as an adult. Like no one, no one really called me BJ Star. A lot of people called me B or BJ. And I said in the beginning that I'm just a human trying to figure out how to live fully. And that name feels so big to me mm-hmm. bj star like like you gotta like you gotta fill some shoes for that <laughs> name you know um so in a way it's it's the the star that i know is within me it's the um that like ancient matter that i know i i can always tap into that's within my my cells my dna and it's also the way in which i'm um intending to live my life is to um, as fully as possible shine my light so Mm -hmm. so BJ star it is Mm. (laughs) yeah it's it's an amazing I don't know what is the word for that like a a shape to be given to live into as you were talking about Mm -hmm. Um, and I haven't known you for that long we really came into a relationship like at the end of last year. And it feels very apparent to me the ways in which you are living into that bigness. Um, and I feel really excited for our listeners to get to to experience some of that boldness, that depth, that, that big softness <laughs> and gentleness too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, hey, so I am curious, you know, not from a not from a, a professionalized bio perspective, but from a lineage perspective, I am curious about some of the movement homes and political homes that have shaped and taught you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was first, I would say, like, I was first really um, politicized just through like day-to-day life. Like I, I feel like like it was bits at a time of just starting to make sense of the world around me um, as I was in the food industry. So I fell in love with, I'm a Taurus, so I was always in love with food, but I really like fell deeply in love with food when I lived in New York and then moved to San Francisco. 
I'm, when I say I fell in love with food, like on my resume, I wrote my favorite meal just because I felt like people should know <laughs> what I love to eat, you know? <laughs> like, Wait, what, what is it? Well, at that time, it was this um, sage Parmesan broth with butternut squash ravioli. That, yeah, that at that moment. Um, And then I updated it and it was like this bomb um, sweet potato lamb curry that I made. And so the resume had that for a little while. But I was in love with food and I was in the food industry. I loved making people happy through food. I loved bringing people together through food. So I started to really study nutrition, which meant that I started to also study the food industry and in that learning, I had my, f- my, my f- kind of first awakening, I would say, to the realities of so many systems of oppression that I didn't realize were acting in the background in my life. So mm-hmm. I started to, um, I, I left the country and I, I worked on uh, small, organic, self-sustaining farms for a while. And that was the beginning, I would say, of like really starting to more deeply um, align with new values and new politics and ideologies. When I came back from working on farms, I then connected with this group called Generation Waking Up. And their mission was to ignite a generation of young people to bring forth a thriving, just, and sustainable world. And the way that they did that was through throwing these huge public events, going into schools, um, hosting retreats that were all about like raising consciousness and supporting the leadership development of young adults. And so I became one of the facilitators at that organization. And through them came to know Joanna Macy and the work that reconnects. And that was a space where my my desire to live more fully came to life um, as I engaged with practices that were all about bringing people back to their bodies, back to the land, um, decolonizing time, and allowing our human experience to drive us towards more collective change. Um, It was deeply spiritual, um, lots of ritual and ceremony. And so I, I kind of wove back and forth between doing what I would consider more like organizing or politically focused change work to like deeply healing spaces, um, sitting in many like sweat lodges with my native elders at that time and vision questing and and things like that. Um, And I moved on from that and just started like creating my own programs in community. So I'm a bit, I always considered myself a hustler as a kid. Like I'd literally walk around and tell people like I'm, I hustle, like that's what I do. Like I, I make something out of nothing. I just was very inspired by that as a child. So that's what I started to do was just like bring folks together, um, figure out what mattered most to us, learn more about it, and then start creating change in our communities. So I've woven myself through a lot of different spaces, a lot of different lineages, um, different movement groups, and I am a bit of a free bird in that way. So there's not one particular home that I would say like is my is my home, but those are a couple pieces of my foundation. And moving to Oakland, I lived in Oakland at the time just after Oscar Grant was murdered. I mm-hmm. I had 
lived in San Francisco for a little bit, and it was it was on that uh, New Year's Day that I was there, and the way that I experienced the Bay Area rise up after that incident made me know that that was home for me. So it took me a little while to move back and move to Oakland, but I did. And I moved there because I could I could sense that this was a place where people were willing to feel pain and, and allow it to lead them to real organized action, which is not something that I experienced much growing up in Seattle. Like she would go down in Seattle and be like, you wouldn't even really flinch, it seemed like. So... It was huge um, the way that I, I saw folks organize in Oakland, and it, it continues to be a like beacon for me. Um, so like groups like Critical Resistance, I mean, when when everything went down in Ferguson with Mike Brown, like Oakland fucking organized, like I can't even, like we were shutting down the freeways and sending busloads of people out to Ferguson and we had these black brunches that started there where like mobs of black folks would interrupt brunch on Sunday mornings and read the names. Um, mm-hmm. We had so many gatherings at, um, uh, is it Franco Gaza Plaza? Like, like City Hall, basically. There was just a lot of action. And so I feel like I got like raised, really raised up in Oakland um, whether it was just in the streets or through like more specific organizing work happening. And there was also a lot of like transformative justice work happening there at that time, restorative justice work, things that I had never come into contact with um, mm-hmm. in my life. So Oakland, I would say beyond any specific group or lineage, like Oakland is what raised me. Um, mm-hmm. And since then, I became a part of an organization called uh, the Wildfire Project, which y'all are going to hear more from for sure on this podcast. And it's a group of badass facilitators who are doing culture shifting work within like frontline movement groups and uh, grassroots and grass tops organizations. And I've really also been like groomed and polished and um, stretched um, and challenged uh, at wildfire, uh, my politic has definitely sharpened a lot, and my skills. So, those are all the places that I would say I, I call I call home um, mm-hmm. when it comes to movement work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, hearing you mention transformative justice, I'm remembering that the first time that we actually met was in that room at Barnard College last fall. All right at the training with Miriam Kaba and Shira Hassan, a, mm-hmm. a transformative justice three day that you had come in for in New York. And I think the only thing that I heard you talk about in that moment was your motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. Um, and taking long rides on your motorcycle. Yep. Um, and then we began working together soonish after that with you doing support and facilitation here. Mm-hmm. Um, under our previous name, Healing Justice Podcast, and sort of witnessing a lot of big transitions beginning to rumble here around our team, around our name change, like around around quick transformation, or not transformation that was like coming to like watershed moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
I guess I'm curious for us to just share a little bit about the process to move into co-directorship, not from a perspective of like, oh, aren't we all like so obsessed with all these inner workings of irresistible, but like just because leadership journeys are 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 relatable and pertinent mm-hmm. to all of us in many ways, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that a lot of time, you know, one of the big commitments of this project is is transparent sharing yeah. to the degree that we can about how what we're doing on the outside is related to what we're working on in the inside, you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that process that we both kind of witness and experience from different sides. Yeah. Well, I'd love to start with you, really, because there's, there's a lot that um, I know that you were learning and experiencing that led to the invitation for me to join this project with you. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious mm-hmm. uh, if you could share just a little bit about what what led to that invitation. Mm. Totally. Well, you know, I started working on this project just like in my bedroom in the summer of 2017, not necessarily with an intention of it becoming like a, an organization with any staffing or a nonprofit or anything like that, but just with a, a big longing to create more connectivity across conversations of healing and movement spaces. And, um, and particularly like a longing and a love for folks who don't live in big organizing hubs. Um, I'm from just outside the city of Milwaukee I'm in the process currently of moving back to Milwaukee, but the past five years I've lived in a collective in Brooklyn and I experienced so much access in in New York that like I would have never had access to just doing turf-based organizing in Wisconsin, right? Which is what I'm committed to doing with my life. Um, And so you know sort of year after year like this organization this thing started growing into like a little baby organization Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um and i have definitely really struggled i would say my principal struggle in this project has been creating a good team Hmm. um in terms of all of kind of like the leadership check boxes that you need to be able to lead well like that is the one that i really really struggle with Mm -hmm. um And so, you know, I think over the past couple of years, like in 2018, I was sharing with you earlier, 2018 was kind of like an all-volunteer team. Like the word I use to describe 2018 is like heroic. Mm -hmm. Like it's sort of like that moment in early, you know, movement work where you're like, everybody's helping out with different stuff and you're just patching it together and making it work. And then last year, we started really trying to formalize our team. And and it really was a year of turmoil in many ways, like of a real growing pain year in 2019 of people coming in, some of those people exiting in various different kinds of ways, um, hard conversations about accountability a lot of conversation about race and appropriation and representation, which is also at the heart of a lot of the reason why we were making the transition from the name Healing Justice to Irresistible. Mm-hmm. And and doing some deep excavation of a lot of that work and knowing 
really from the beginning, knowing that in order to hold the this dream of a community of support and healing and sustainability that can hold folks from all different identities, like knowing that representation and a real team that covered geography and age and race and gender and like all of these different identities would be completely critical mm-hmm. to be able to welcome and hold and support you know the the incredible range of people who are in our movement communities mm-hmm. and so you know you were there at the end in december to and and january and february to kind of process through some of those transition moments and i think it was when you know when the pandemic hit and my partner's immunocompromised and we live in this collective with a ton of people. So we made the decision in March to evacuate New York um, and take refuge back home in Wisconsin. And through the incredible global loss of control and like throwing out of planning and perfection and any semblance of, of security um, with the pandemic, I feel like it created an opening for me that was big enough to take the vulnerable risk of of inviting you in mm-hmm. in this way and actually really thinking that you'd probably say no but um but knowing that like asking you know just the real intimacy and vulnerability for asking for that level of help and partnership like I knew was a really important action for me to take in my own healing and in the leadership of this project. Um, yeah, so that gets us close to now. It sure does. And I got to just say, like, there are, there. I have a huge range of emotional responses to everything that has happened leading up to and during this pandemic. Mm-hmm. And what I see when I bring my attention to the things that I am grateful for is the way that some doors opened, like swung wide open, that previously maybe felt really challenging to even find the right key to, you know? And mm-hmm. um, this is this is definitely one of them, and that's what I'm hearing um, in that story is like, trying to find the right key, which is the right lock? How do I open this door? Like, which door is it, you know? And then suddenly it just, it just opened, you know? Mm. Um, And I really trust those moments. I really trust those moments. So when I received your invitation, I took some time with it. Like at first I was like, okay, let me think very practically, logically about my capacity and I'm a facilitator. What the hell am I doing saying yes to a podcast? Like all there was lots of questions that I had to answer for myself. But there was always this full body trust that this moment that this opportunity emerging was maybe meant to be or had purpose to it that I couldn't make sense out of by trying to answer a bunch of questions or examine it or whatever, but that maybe we would both really not know what gifts were ahead until we experimented, you know, until mm-hmm. we, until we said yes to it. So I said yes from this place of like, no, nah, I really don't know what I'm, I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I know mm-hmm. like, and I, I trust myself 
deeply. And my belief about trust in another person, like I don't believe that I can trust anybody more than I trust myself. So if I don't trust that I, my intuition, my instincts, my knowledge and capability, like if I don't trust in those things, then I'm likely going to be doubting other people's as much as I'm doubting my own. Mm. So I felt like whatever this is, I can surf it. Like whatever this opportunity is, I know I can show up for it. Therefore, I know you can show up for it. I know we can like meet each other. And I think trusting people makes them trustworthy. And I think mm-hmm. believing in people like allows them to like really show up. So I was like, you know what? Yeah, I believe that this this could be incredible. This could be, might I say, irresistible. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so far it it is. It it really is. And I think that like bringing our attention to that place um, and allowing that to be what kind of steers us forward feels really exciting, mm. Um, mm. really nourishing. Mm. I, I want to say something about that, too, because I feel like, um, you know, I can feel that in the way that in the way that my body and my leadership responds to your presence is like is like that that calling up that's implied when somebody is modeling like striving toward their best self and doing great work and like also believing in you to do that too um and there there's this moment in the process of the last year where you know i've articulated in many different times in in many ways in public and private and one-on-ones whatever uh, particularly around the name change of this project from Healing Justice to Irresistible and really naming and owning and, and taking accountability for many different layers of complexity and harm and and what it's meant for this project to be led by a cis white woman and all of the implications of that and all of the historical patterns and wounds that it, that it digs into. And... Um, there was a moment where I was describing all of that again to my friend Iraq, who some of y'all have heard on the podcast in the episode about tender masculinity, which I try not to play favorites, but it's one of my favorites. It's so good. So a lot of what makes that that episode and just talking to Iraq in general really powerful is the deep work that he's done over decades in his own healing. And one of the things he reflected back to me at the end of last year is he heard me talking again about this transition and the ways that I needed to figure out how to build a stronger team here and all the ways that I was falling short. And he's just like, would you talk about somebody else's leadership in this way? Like, I want to call you into some kindness about how you talk about your past self and what you didn't know yet and what you weren't able to do yet. And like, I'm, I'm concerned about the way you talk about yourself with a, with a harshness. Mm-hmm. And that like really got to the root of a lot of my, my shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that was l- literally the first time that it occurred to me. Like I've never been a director of a project before. I've never been in charge of fundraising. I've never been a bunch of people's manager. Like I am like a young person trying to do this for the first time without anybody like guiding me, you know? And 
what would be the kindness in my voice if I was like talking to somebody else who was trying to do that, mm-hmm. you know? And like, and I think that's part of my pattern and why some of the team building I tried to do last year didn't work out because I was relating to myself in that way. And so it stepped out into how I also related to other people because my standards were like really unyielding. And something that I feel very excited about, about the, the, the concept of co-directorship or just shared leadership in general, whatever the freaking titles are, is that like if we can model that kindness to each other of like rigor and commitment and standards for like the good we want to do for our people here, but also a kindness and a grace for each other as human beings, like I feel like there is a key to my own healing here. <laughs> through this kind of partnership that I am certain will soften a lot of my leadership edges that are actually limitations that end up playing out in the work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I feel very excited about that and I feel really confident and lucky about for the next year having a commitment around this partnership um, to really move in that direction. Yeah, I do too. and. I, th- I think the balance between rigor and grace is so important. And like, I love lowering expectations. <laughs> like like uh, at the beginning of almost everything I do, I, I've learned now to just like lower my own expectations and definitely lower the expectations that people have of me because I am imperfect and everything we're doing is an experiment i don't know the unless i'm doing math i don't know the perfect answer you Mm. know like it it and the best way for us to learn is through the experience and we've got to be willing to like be messy make mistakes get into arguments fail you know like we've got to be willing to be those imperfect aspects of ourselves in order to find what really works so I'm excited mm-hmm. for um, the kind of like grace and kindness and play that we can bring to our work together because uh, this doesn't have to be another place of struggle. There's so, mm-hmm. there's so many sites of struggle in my own life and I imagine mm-hmm. there's so many sites of struggle in your own life and I trust that we are both here to live into the healing and holding that we need to in this lifetime. And to witness that is already an honor. To be able to be in partnership in that is a huge honor. And the love um, feels important. Like the presence of love for each other and for ourselves feels really important. Yeah, because there's so many other places where we can struggle. You know what I mean? Mm. So for me, I'm excited for this to be a place where we can joyfully co-create negotiate power and and have difficulty but it it not um be a a a site of breakdown you know Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and there's so many lessons we're gonna learn too i mean this is a place where you've you built this platform in order to um have a space to share the many lessons and like brilliant um frameworks and practices uh of our community with more of our community. And so we're going to have so many great things to share. I'm excited to just be on this journey with you and be on this journey yeah. with the community and see what it is that irresistible wants to be um, mm-hmm. in this next year. Mm-hmm. I love that. And actually something 
so cool in terms of like what does irresistible want to be and how can we create a space for our for our whole community to have a a place within the struggle that's maybe a site of less struggle (laughs) is like one of the one of the dreams in bringing love and fullness and healing and and all of who we are to our our lifelong commitments to this work right Mm -hmm. as as part of our own liberation um, there's a few things coming up that I feel like really mirror our commitment to that vision. One of them is over the next two weeks, we're actually publishing an episode about building an altar or a sacred space in your own home. Um, it's led by B. Anderson, who many of you probably already know and love from the episode that they offered around voice and liberation. And, uh, it's a practice of actually looking for objects and building sacred space to a, a commitment to an irresistible future and irresistible movements in our homes. And the week after next, you're going to hear this episode that's a sound tour of our global irresistible altar. Many of our listeners who sent in poetry or descriptions or um, just like, and it's my favorite episode we've ever done, basically, because you hear our community describing like what is your what are your irresistible dreams and commitments and we get to hear and feel each other there and so i'm so excited for you to hear those episodes i'm also excited for this space that we're going to hold bj in a few weeks to be able to like have that kind of interplay live with our people Mm -hmm. um would you say a little bit about that Yeah, so we want to, we just want to connect with the community. We are going to offer a couple of kickbacks. So the sustaining members will have an opportunity to connect with us. We want to get to know you a bit better, especially as we're embarking on a new chapter. It feels important for us to begin by listening. And so we want to hear from you. We want to see you. We want to laugh with you. We want to connect. So on Thursday, June 25th at 2 p.m. or 8 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. or 5 p.m. Pacific, we're going to have a couple opportunities for those members to join us. So if you are not currently a sustaining member and would like to be a part of those sessions, please go to our Patreon. Kate, what's the Patreon link? Mm -hmm. It's patreon.com slash irresistible. Awesome. And you can give as little as a dollar or more uh, to join us. Um, Please go there and check it out. And for those members who are already sustaining us through Patreon, you can check out the post on Patreon about the events. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're really excited to have more face-to-face time with y'all and are starting with our members because you're the folks who talk to us the most, who listen the most, who are sharing the most back and in reciprocity with us in in that particular way. And also, you know, we really learned through care circles, which we led six weeks of at at the beginning of the pandemic cycle, um, how much we so enjoy getting to be in circle with our people. Like, you might be hearing our voices once in a while, but we don't always get to hear you back, and we want to. Um, and when we get to, we always learn things that shape the work we choose to do here a hundred percent of the time. So we're really looking forward to that. Uh, please join us for one of those kickbacks to get to hang out with me and BJ and just share about what's going on in your world. Um, and 
yeah, there's so much more coming up that's exciting. But y'all are going to see it. We're going to be working on this conflict series all summer long with the Wildfire Project that BJ mentioned. BJ is featured as a guest in that series, um, talking about practices for holding conflict and sharing practices that groups can use, including virtually, if you're not in person together, to negotiate conflict meaningfully and to engage in generative conflict that gets us to... uh, really strong places in our groups and our relationships and our strategy that we're trying to move in the world. Um, and we also have a new book club selection starting, which I think is our last announcement. And BJ, would you tip that one off? Oh my goodness. Yes. I'm so excited for this book, Love and Rage, The Path to Liberation Through Anger. It was written by Lama Rod Owens, who also uh, co-authored Radical Dharma. And Uh, We're going to be reading this book together through the summer. There's also an episode, uh, my very first episode here at the podcast, I got a chance to talk with Lama Rod, and we've got an incredible conversation to share with you, as well as uh, a practice for how to hold space for strong emotions, which I know a lot of us are feeling particularly in this time. So um, we'll be reading that book. We'll have a discussion guide to go along with that through the summer, and then a live conversation and Q&A with uh, Lama Rod Owens at the end of the summer. So if you are not already a book club member, you should definitely become one. Um, go to irresistible.org slash book club and check it out. Mm-hmm. It's so good, y'all. This you, you would never know that it was BJ's first time being an interviewer because this conversation is just all depth like straight into the deep end. We really um, did go straight there. Love, mm-hmm. rage, liberation, anger, the role it plays in our personal liberation as well as our social liberation is an incredible conversation. Yeah, check it out. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, please join us on social media in giving enormous love and a round of applause and all the gifts and emojis and all the virtual ways that we show our enthusiasm to BJ for joining the team wow come show some love on twitter at hey irresistible show some love on facebook at irresistible movements same thing on instagram you can send us a note anytime hey at irresistible.org and i think it's an important moment for us to do uh do what we do well in showing love and appreciation and welcome and warmth. Our team is growing. Our movements are growing. So send some love to BJ in any of those places and we'll make sure that they get it. Heck yeah. Um, Thank you. And Kate, let's not end before saying thank you as well. You have stewarded a beautiful project, a beautiful vision, a huge community, and put your life and love into this like nonstop non-stop mm-hmm. I know and, I want to sing Hamilton <laughs> <laughs> so while y'all show me some love please also show Kate some love because we are we're doing it together now so mm-hmm. yes a deep bow and so much love to you Kate thank you hey I want to share some extra love to our other team member here at Irresistible Allison Thompson who is holding space all the time on our social media and building community with y'all. Allison is so much also part of this victory moment of really having the right team coming together and 
um, holding all of us here in this project. So thank you, Allison, for all the work you're doing. And we encourage y'all to visit irresistible.org to join our email list and check out our social media for a list that we sent out this weekend of practices and episodes to help hold and transform racialized trauma. We have some really important practices led by black leaders talking about trauma healing, compartmentalizing, mental health, um, rest and reclaiming rest. We also have practices for um, healing and accountability for white leaders in social movement spaces and taking responsibility for racial justice. And we sent out that playlist to our email list this weekend because it just feels incredibly timely right now, as it is all the time in this country where racialized violence is the norm. And so please check those out. And also join us in giving a big thank you to the other volunteers that make this project run. Josiah Werning for graphic design, Zach Meyer for sound design, and Irresistible Podcast is supported by the Calliopeia Foundation, dedicated to reconnecting ecology, culture, and spirituality. Learn more at calliopeia.org. Sending love and hear y'all next week.